Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got Heritage Lab founder Marshall Olson on the podcast talking about what I think is one of the more interesting developments to hit the ski industry in the last couple of years. Marshall has been involved in the ski industry for a long time. He is well-known and well-respected in the ski industry. I've known Marshall for a long time before I ever even had the idea of starting Blister. And so it was very cool to get him on Gear 30 to talk about this very interesting idea of his. And I'm going to let him describe what he's up to with Heritage Lab Skis. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Hickory & Tweed, located in Armonk, New York, which is our blister-recommended shop for the tri-state area. This family-owned and operated ski shop has been a staple of the East Coast ski culture since 1961 and provides excellent customer service with a major focus on quality in-store experiences for every single customer. Hickory & Tweed's lease program is the oldest in the country, and they lease over 8,000 pairs of skis and boards every season. And they are the only shop in the area to lease race stock equipment. Their 13,000-square-foot campus includes a full-service tuning center, expert boot fitters, and a selection of brands and products you are unlikely to find elsewhere. And... They guarantee everything they sell. The vast majority of what's available at Hickory & Tweed is available online, and their e-commerce shares inventory with the store. And heads up for Blister members, if you are a Blister member, you can get 10% off your first online order at hickoryandtweed.com and 10% off one full-priced item and 15% off seasonal rentals for in-store purchases. So, if you are in the tri-state area, be sure to stop by Hickory & Tweed or check them out online at hickoryandtweed.com. This episode of Gear 30 is also presented by Open Snow. Now, two things here. First of all, if you have not yet listened to the Blister podcast conversation that I recorded with Open Snow founder and lead meteorologist Joel Gratz... You need to do that soon because it was a fantastic conversation. Joel was dropping science everywhere, and we have received a ton of comments on that episode. And then the other thing you need to do is we currently have an exclusive offer running. It's actually running for the entirety of this winter season, but everyone in the Blister community can go to opensnow.com slash blister To get an exclusive offer, you will be able to get a 60-day trial of the Open Snow app. And so you've got two months to see why I myself and so many hundreds of thousands of people out there rely on Open Snow for their weather reports and forecasts. So go to opensnow.com slash blister and don't forget to check out the conversation I had with Joel over on our Blister podcast. And now, let's get to my conversation with Marshall Olson. Here we go. Marshall Olson, how are you today and where are you today? It's a pleasure, Jonathan. It's been a long time and really excited to chat. I am sitting right at the bottom of Little Cottonwood Canyon looking at the mountains, so um, nothing... Nothing too shabby here. Stoked and uh, glad to glad to chat and talk skis here for a bit. Yeah, for sure. This conversation has been kind of a long time coming, but as I tend to like to do, I like when I hear about a project like this to give people a minute. You know, let's uh, let's let things evolve as they always do. But now, you know, now's your time. Now it's go time. We've, we've given you enough time, I think, that uh, <laughs> now you're, we're ready to kind of have this conversation and bring it onto the global stage. 
and uh, ask what the hell it is you're doing with Heritage Lab skis. Yeah, thanks. It's been uh, it's been a journey. Um, we this so we're out, uh, I'm about a year into the uh, the idea and the concept and and making it happen. We uh, we're stoked. It's it's really cool. Starting to deliver all of our first round of skis, which is really really gratifying. People are getting out and skiing them and and super pumped. Um, we've got deliveries sort of through the holidays and into January, but um, it's all on the rails and and yeah. So re- really fun to be delivering skis. Um, I mean, where, where we, where we came with it was basically missing some of the super niche skis that, you know, used to exist 10, 15, 20 years ago. And, and just, you know, they're not, (laughs) they're, they're never going to be the best sellers kind of a thing. And, and so, you know, we want to bring back, um, you know, stuff that's a little bit unique and a little bit different and, you know, for a more of a discerning skier who's, um, yeah, looking for something fun. So. Yeah. And I mean, we talk a lot here at Blister about skis and kind of all this gear as basically just being sort of different utensils. And sometimes a fork is perfect and sometimes a spoon is perfect, but sometimes there is a lesser known or lesser used utensil that there is very much a time and a place, you know, for for that specific tool and or instrument and and it sounds like that is very much what you are trying to do with heritage lab totally i would say both in terms of snow and condition but also in terms of the skier uh themselves um and you know i'll just use this as an example like right right now the smallest radius ski we have is 25 meters and it goes up to you know 60 and 70 meter turn radiuses so like it's a different tool in terms of it's not a fork, but it's a knife. And so it's for cutting, <laughs> but it's also the person that wants to cut it is uh, looking to, you know, slice quickly and effectively and efficiently and not just sort of saw at it for a little while. So, um, to- yeah, no good analogy for sure. <laughs> so when did you first start thinking about this? Uh, that's a great question. I have... Let me take a step back. So I've been on sort of like a consulting journey um, for the last four years in terms of my career. Um, And it's been super fun to ski a bunch of different brands and a bunch of different uh, skis out there. And over that time, you know, there's been a ton of experimentation and some stuff that's totally surprised me that I never would have otherwise skied, like was very eye-opening. But I also kept coming back to the stuff that I've always loved and and the skis that spoke to me the most were are getting just harder and harder and harder to find even at all more or less like actually in good condition where you can <laughs> tune it up and have it slide well and that sort of a thing or even have enough space to put uh, holes in the binding so yeah in practice we've been around for a year but i would say that sort of three to four years before then was the journey of like gosh this is something i really need to put some time and energy into. So, yeah. 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 I mean, that's the, that's exactly the answer to the question is the first formulations of this. Uh, and you know, uh, to be very honest, one of the reasons why I didn't want to have this conversation with you right away was because I wanted you to have a chance to see what kind of market response you were getting, you know, cause we, we complain about this all the time on blister right is like favorite skis of ours get discontinued and then i get real loud and angry at the ski industry for doing that all the time often i think without having good reason because it's not like the next iteration is this clear improvement or or they just retire it you know people and i i kind of understand from a business sense it's like ah this stuff's been around some companies just need to move x number of a given model but I think why I waited with you on this project is because I I knew a lot of people would say like, oh, that sounds real cool. But how many people are really going to put their money where their mouth is and support a project to have the kind of heritage lab interpretation of some of these classic shapes, right? Then, by the way, there's the third part about your ability to actually execute on that. Right. And you just said like you're rolling shipments out now. So I was like, this is the right time, I think. Yeah. 
So first of all, I couldn't be more thankful to everyone who did put their money where their yeah. mouth is because uh, it was a lot of faith and it's been a journey, but it's been super rewarding too. So it's uh, it's been fun. Like we'll we'll do, I think in round numbers, we'll do about 200 pairs to about 150 skiers on this first uh, this first round, which is, that's great. Like that, that totally blows me away. Like personally, it, it, and you know, now that people are starting to get on the first kind of first delivery batch, just being stoked and being like, yes, like I've been looking for this myself in my own skiing, you know, like this is the feedback I'm getting from these skiers. Like, uh, and, and it's been missing, like, it just makes me feel like it's, it's worth it, um, for sure. Cause, uh, in terms of, you know, there's the old saying, like, if you want to end up with a million dollars in the ski business, start with 10. Cause, uh, <laughs> it's not, it's, uh, it's, it's a hard game to, <laughs> hard game to play, but it's also so fun to do. But, um, yeah, it, it, you know, we're, we're, we're ticking along and people are stoked. I, I, again, it's, it, it'll never be, I mean, maybe it'll be slightly bigger than that, but it's not supposed to be some huge $10 million like thing, right? Like it's, they're intentionally niche skis for people with, you know, specific tastes and that are looking for something a little bit different. So, yeah. So how did you go about trying to determine if there actually was an audience willing to pay for this? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, (laughs) So first, I mean, this thing's entirely crowdsourced, right? So I put together an offer of skis, like, here's what I, here's where I want to start. And, you know, the the first step is just confirming that we can actually get them made at at the manufacturer on the manufacturing side. I've, I'm fortunate to know tons of different um, manufacturers, and you know, I believe that they should be made at the you know the best manufacturers for you know the given technologies and constructions in the world. And so, um, you know, confirming there's actual capacity to to do the project was first, right? Like, is this achievable, and can this be done? What numbers basically do we need to hit on each? different model and length and all of that sort of thing for it to be, you know, viable from, from them to actually make them. Um, and then I, you know, I posted on TGR and said, Hey, I've got this crazy idea. What do you think? And if, if you think it's interesting, you know, here's a, here's a way to make a deposit. So it's, it's essentially kind of like not actually Kickstarter, but sort of Kickstartered in that way of, um, that, um, you know, obviously I have, a. uh, you know, I, I produced a few extra pairs of each one, but but we're really basically just ma- manufacturing what you know what people ordered. Um, just to you know, I, I can't afford to put you know my a mortgage on my house just to like start this thing, right? So um, I already have a mortgage that I need to pay down. I can't have another one. So uh, anyway, the point is, it's it's essentially crowdsourced, and and you know that that's that's how we got, got going. And, um, yeah, again, couldn't be more stoked for everyone's support for it. So, Hmm. okay. So somebody who is hearing about heritage lab for the very first time here, um, maybe I'll have you, you might end up repeating yourself a little bit, but like you're sitting, I always like to say you sit down next to somebody on an airplane and they're, you get talking and they're like, what do you do? And you're like, well, I have this, well, actually, Finish the finish the sentence for me. Oh man! Um, so on, on an airplane, I'm like over the ears <laughs> watching the movie. Don't talk to me, guy. But uh, unless <laughs> unless you recognize me, and then for sure uh, say hi and let's talk skis. But but generally, <laughs> that's me on the airplane. But um, I don't know on the chairlift. Maybe I would say, um, you know, I'm a I'm a lifelong skier. My family. You know, I grew up in a family that were patro- ski patrollers at our local hill in Wisconsin. We we skied, you know, four or five days a week, all winter, you know, after school, etc. Like, you know, ever since I was a year and a half old, um, I, I got my start in the ski industry as an 18-year-old kid, um, helping Solomon late 90s, early 2000s there. And early in that journey, I started experimenting with fat skis. Um, and you know, that's like home rockering, um, atomic powder pluses in, you know, in back in like the, the late nineties and then starting to special order custom igneous skis, uh, in the late nineties and early two thousands as well. Um, so, I mean, I've been playing like, that's just part of my DNA, right? Like, you, you know, I was a freshman in college, like sc- screwing around with this stuff. And, um, 
so it's, you know, I've, I've been doing it for 25 years now and of constantly tweaking and sort of searching it out. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to make that, you know, sort of my career. Um, Heritage Labs is sort of just building on that, you know, like there's so much stuff. There's just so, so there've been so many great ideas in the ski world over the last 20, 25 years. And there's always innovation and innovation, you know, it's always moving forward, but that doesn't necessarily always mean it's better for any given one person, right? Like the innovation more often than not is, is helpful. Like there, every ski in the world is really good, and it, but that doesn't mean it's the right ski for every skier in the world, right? So, you know, Blister obviously does an amazing job helping people figure out, is this the right ski for me or not? Um, and so on, on my side, like I just wanted to, you know, sort of reference some of the original you know, really influential skis for my own skiing and the ones that I keep coming back to and keep searching out and keep skiing on 10, 15, 20 years after they were made because they're just that good. They're that good. They fit my style and, and you know, they fit a fit of at least a handful of other people's styles too. So. Okay. So in a nutshell, you made this a longer airplane conversation than I was just imagining, you know? So I guess we call this the classic elevator pitch, like in eight words or less or one sentence. Heritage Lab is. Yeah. So I, I was doing the chairlift, so I figured I had like five you or had more eight time. Minutes. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> not, not, Fair. But anyway. Um, the, this is the, I'm asking you for the version where you the angrily. version, not the chairlift version. Yeah, yeah. You angrily yeah. look at the me sitting next to you and like tapping you on the shoulder, like take your headphones off. What do you do? What is your company? And then you have to give me the quick one so you can go back to watching, you know, whatever movie you're watching. So. Yeah. So we make skis uh, for for people who feel like the ski industry has moved in a direction that that they're not personally aligned with, and and it, they have a hard time finding the skis that they really love. Got so it. so we're the brand for them. Got it. So you've mentioned that you kind of started in terms of some of the shapes with some of the shapes that just you personally uh, have been quite into over the years. But that seems like a pretty easy idea to understand. Then it gets a whole lot more complicated taking that idea and making this a reality again in terms of like the Heritage Lab iteration or version of these classic shapes and models. You know, in terms of actually designing the skis and landing on what, what's what's the right offering? What what exactly are we making? Um, I've just, I've talked to a lot of people who are passionate about skis in the same way that I am. And, you know, I've had a really super fun and gratifying uh, relationship with Arald in um, Norway. He's, you know, we've kicked tons and like hundreds and hundreds of emails and little CAD files and all sorts of stuff back and forth. And um, so that's like one example, you know, Paul Ford at at, um, Blister, of course, like we've spent hours on the phone talking about, you know, all the nuance around what makes, you know, the best powder skis, the best powder skis and what worked on one thing versus what didn't on another and that kind of a deal. And, you know, tons of other, ton, tons of other folks. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't, I don't know if we have time to do the full shout out, thing, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's like what, and, and the interesting point is when I have 10, 15, 20 conversations with all of these different people, almost everyone puts their finger on the same either types of skis or attributes specific to certain skis. Um, And everyone puts their finger in the same places, right? So it's like, you know, certain amount of tip taper, a certain, you know, rocker profile mount line, like, you know, a lot of these like core driving um, attributes to a ski design, like there's some universals there that really, you know, the more people I talk to, the more the answers are the same. And, And you know what I mean? Like the, there almost isn't any noise. It's all sort of the same type of thing. So from a design perspective, it was really interesting because of course, you know, I have my personal biases. I mount my bindings, you know, at least a centimeter or two centimeters further back than anyone else kind of thing. So like, like I I can't design for me because I I know that I'm a nutty, (laughs) a nut job in that way. But like, you know, but speaking with different people, you know, it, it, where the commonalities are, are, it's, it's shockingly the same. And, and, you know, I, and blister always uses reference skis in your reviews and that sort of a thing. And it's like the behaviors in your reference skis, like you, I, I would imagine you get my point, right? Like there's the certain commonalities where like, 
you just know that that thing's going to ski great when you first get it out of the wrapper and you just can look at, at, at it, that kind of thing too. So we transition that into CAD files and we, we do the design work, um, you know, laying out the footprint of the ski, the rocker profile for the ski, the flex pattern for the ski. Um, and, and we give that to the factory and, and we specify exactly what uh, construction materials we want, you know, different weight, fiberglass and rubber and metal thickness and all the all the various elements that go into each ski um and 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 there we go it, you know that in terms of that it's it's actually pretty straightforward if you know what you're doing right like i mean if you don't know what you're doing that's like impossible but <laughs> but it but it, you know in terms of how the materials come together the flex patterns interact that sort of thing is you know it's not foolproof but it's but it's pretty predictable um as far as that goes and then you know so we run i I've, I've just gotten some uh, the final production samples for the fiberglass uh, free ride builds and the carbon uh, builds. So uh, we do a you know a final production sample on each one, where I you know verify okay the you know skis are construction wise coming together the tunes c- coming together right the colors and top sheet and all that is is coming together right, and check you know flex patterns and stiffness and all of the um, measurables and you know one of them it's like in- increase the Per, you know, increase the stiffness a small percentage, but you know that's just thickening up the uh, core profile slightly. And um, yeah, so so for, on that side of it, it comes together quite smoothly. Um, and again, that that's me having done it before, but it's also um, working with you know the best <laughs> manufacturing facilities who have been doing it far longer than me, uh, and th- they can really help uh, nail the right pieces of it as well in terms of, of how it all comes together. You're talking about receiving these final production samples. Are you then clicking into these and getting them on snow to see if you've got the flex pattern where you want? Or at this stage, are you trusting the CAD files and the the flex pattern curves to hit that? Because that's what I'm mostly asking about here. I mean, shape... I don't want to say that's the easy part, but like if we're working off of some beloved classic shapes, that strikes me as not the huge X factor here. It seems like the flex pattern itself and you feeling like, yeah, this flex pattern is really where I want it to be. How are you handling that in this very first batch of production so that, that's a great question. And um, I've done slightly less there than I would have liked. I had shoulder surgery like uh, six weeks ago. Um, so I'm, I'm, I can like tour and ski down a 10 degree dirt road kind of deal, but I can't actually ski. Um, I have sent out a handful of the samples to, um, you know, the customer, you know, the customers who ordered the first pair of each one uh, so they can mount them up and ski them too, just in case there's anything wrong. But in terms of the flex pattern itself, those are pretty intentionally designed again having skied tons and tons and tons of different flex patterns i mean the flex pattern is essentially a trapezoid shape right like there's a flat section under your binding and then it tapers to you know certain points on the tip and the tail based on how much tail taper and tip taper you have right so it's it and there's you know crazy scoop designs and stuff like that but but generally speaking it's it's a it's a trapezoidal shape so the the key piece of it is you know having the flat section scaled in the right way under the binding. So the ski flexes um, the way you want it to. Um, and then it's basically just, you know, core thickness, uh, uh, you know, underfoot and then how that transitions out to the ends um, to increase stiffness or, or whatever. And then finally, um, you know, there's all sorts of different flex patterns. Um, but for example, like there's, there's also not that many flex patterns that actually work really well. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I, when I, I would send a design file to the, uh, factory, um, based on how I'd like it to ski and, and sort of knowing again, like how the taper happens in different areas. Um, and the factories can, you know, they have so much experience manufacturing different sizes and lengths and scaling them across different widths and all that stuff that they can help translate that a little bit better. So that that's it's just a great resource to have sort of in, from a team perspective. So in summary, I personally, unfortunately have not, they, you know, the samples have all go, are going out to, to get skied. 
but in terms of how they came together, like I'm super happy. I, I mean, you, you can't just hand flex a ski and know how it's going to ski, but you can have a pretty good feeling of, of how it's going to feel. And so that's the, that's, that's where we're at just based on my injury of, of what I was able to achieve. Yeah. This fall, so. And it's interesting, right? Because you're not actually talking about making custom skis, right? So this is pretty interesting because we're talking about a smaller batch project. And yet this isn't like, Hey, call up Marshall. And then you go through and be like, I like my skis super stiff, or I like my ski much softer and more playful. We're talking about trying to dial in a flex pattern that you think best works with a particular shape. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And so, you know, I think starting stuff is always hard it turns out and i think that again i think it's cool to see the traction that you've already gotten out there and it's like yeah i think it's probably safe to assume that that flex pattern is damn close to where you would like it to be but maybe you get some feedback from these first that go through and things get adjusted a little bit but then effectively you've got it and the idea is, well, then we're going to try to keep these around year yeah, exactly. in and year out, right? Exactly. And, and the, I think the other thing is we're not trying to be like a ski for everyone. Like, like that's not the point. Um, so it, the, the flex pattern is super important. The stiffness is super important. The construction is super important. But it's also like I'm okay with them being a little bit one-dimensional, like I actually want that, right? Like that's what I'm looking for. Um, and, you know, the people that are stoked on the project are happy with that idea too. Um, your, your marketing copy doesn't have to be like everyone else's marketing copy. Right. Serves the pow and carves the groom. Right. Perfect. Both equally good. Zero <laughs> compromises anywhere at any time. Yeah. That would not be your, that will not be your marketing copy. So thank God for that. Totally. <laughs> totally. So um, yeah, I, I mean, of, of course I, you know, I welcome all feedback and obviously if I, you know, personally think that something could get a little better by making a change, I'd, I'd do that. I do think I, like I'm super stoked with where they're at. So I, I don't doubt that that may happen, but I'm not sort of worried about that, I guess, is in a certain sense. Um, the, the last thing I'd say too is, you know, I would rather take a ski back and give someone a full refund if they're not stoked on it, than have them not be bummed about it. Like I can sell the ski used and whatever, like that's, that's, I'm not stressed about that. So like, you know, like I I think that that's important to add of like, dude, if, you know, if someone takes a leap of faith, especially first couple of years kind of thing, like there is a leap of faith element to it. And, and, you know, I'm super appreciative of that. And I would, you know, if it's not the right thing for someone, I I would rather take it back than have them bummed about it in, in any way. So, so just for the sake of clarification here, what is the official policy of Heritage Lab? If I give you money, I get back a ski, I don't click with it or think it's off, what happens? So there's a couple pieces. The first is like no nonsense get guarantee. If you aren't stoked with the purchase for your first 30 days, even if it's mounted and skied, full refund, less shipping. If you have a have something and don't like it, but want to swap it out. Same thing. No nonsense. 30 days, switch it out. I'll send you something for free and I'll eat the shipping. So three-year warranty on, on, you know, defects, like, you know, delaminations and that sort of a thing. Um, and that would be to both first, first time or secondhand users. Again, like, you know, this is all coming from the internet, right? Like, so people sell skis, move on like that. And so, you know, as someone that's picking them up secondhand, I feel like if there's a D lamb or, you know, it's like, like I would rather eat that than have them be bummed about the skis or the brand or whatever. Like I'd rather eat that. Um, and then finally uh, we have a crash replacement, right? So like if you smoke a rock, that kind of thing, I will either get you a single or get you a used pair or do whatever to get you back on snow. And, you know, it's sort of depending on if you give me a good story and um, I'll, I'll either give it to you for free or super cheap or what, you know what I mean? Like everyone has a different need and, and that sort of a thing, but uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather get you a single and keep you riding on skis that you love than, you know, 
leave you out in the cold uh, for a crash replacement. And same thing, three years if you smoke an edge or whatever. So smoking rocks has a very different connotation in other parts of the world outside of the ski world. Just FYI. So I, I, I actually kind of like the. Psst, smoking rocks policy um that could go to some fun fun or tragic places um yeah uh, enough enough on that maybe where are these skis getting built what's up with that so we have two vendors basically so we we make a metal laminate race room uh construction and that's manufactured by blossom in italy um those that that factory is super well like when people say those were made in the race room uh like and they're speaking about real fis like olympics level product like more often than not depending on the brand like more often than not that's made by blossom um and you know they're quite well known in the 75 80 kind of carving zone um and then you know they have some open molds that i was able to utilize on uh for the um in, in 82, uh, excuse me, an 85 and a 99 and a, and a 120 millimeter waist width there too. So that's the metal laminate stuff. And then we use uh, um, uh, a company called Telos in China. And they, so they're sort of most known for, you know, high-tech carbon split boards. And, you know, they're an OEM manufacturer for tons of ski brands and that sort of a thing too. And they, uh, so, you know, I've, been able to put together both a you know super smooth super damp fiberglass construction with them as well as a uh, carbon sort of like more backcountry touring oriented construction when i say backcountry touring i'm saying like skiing fast and having it be re- relatively night light not like crazy light um but yeah so we have the car- a carbon and a fiberglass build with them so and have you received final production samples out of both factories yeah, so status update is um, I have in my possession the basically the all mountain build, a slightly softer, more responsive version of the race room skis uh, in my possession now. Uh, we're getting pretty close to um, having the final, like the the production round of the comp skis, so a stiffer, damper, heavier version of the race room skis uh, shipping to me as well. And then we've just entered production. I've received the final samples of, of the, uh, the fiberglass and carbon skis. So those are entering production and I expect those in the next 30 days, uh, to me. So getting close on all of it for sure. So now I'm on the heritage lab website right now, and I'm seeing race room, carbon and free ride. You just talked about the sort of comp version. I'm not seeing something about the I get unlike unless we're using free ride and comp as synonyms now. I uh, so when I built the website, um, <laughs> when, when I built the so there's been two this builds of the, the website. This is the annoying like, bro. You need to go change up your website to make it like current with what you're now how you're talking about things. Like, welcome, <laughs> welcome to website hell. Yeah. So <laughs> one man band over here yeah. focused on getting skis made. Yeah. Um, I also spend lots of time doing marketing consulting, so I know better, but it's also, there's only so many hours in a day. But yeah. the punchline is, so Race Room has two builds. So if you go into like the 99 or 120 or whatever in the Race Room, you'll see a drop down where you can select the All Mountain build um, or the Comp build. Okay. The Free Ride build is the, is the fiberglass. So it's a, a bamboo and poplar core fiberglass um, laminates. I've added some extra rubber to it to really smooth that thing out and make it feel super nice on rough snow. Um, and then the carbon build I, I talked about before, that's the sort of more uh, untracked snow uh, construction there. Okay. How has it gone so far talking with people about these shapes and the construction options? Because right now we've been talking about classic shapes I'm not actually seeing the names of any classic models. Yeah. So is this the like, you're not really doing that on the website, but if I call you up and say I'm interested or do an email exchange and say, look, I'm, is this shape kind of like this ski that used to exist or how, how are you handling that? Well, so I, you know, of, of course, email call, whatever, um, you know, I, 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 love those conversations. So like, that's like the highlight of my day is getting to talk skis on, uh, with people that are interested. Um, a lot of those conversations are like, I'm, I, I used to, you know, 
my favorite ski ever was the 185 such and such. Should I get the 188 or the 180? Um, or or am I and and or like should I get the all mountain build or the race race room build or whatever? Um, in the metal skis, I would say it's trying to choose between the two builds. Um, I'll probably play around with you know with those different builds. Probably do the comp build in just the 99 and um, the so the the near you know sub 100 widths, and then do the AM build in the 120. Be my guess for next year, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. But that's that's my guess um, there. So so it's really been like build, and then just help me figure out which length is right, and, and am I on the right kind of thing? That so for the race room skis for the free ride builds the um and the carbon builds i would say the most common question i get is should i get a 200 centimeter or a 190 centimeter uh 132 that's like that's the everyone else knows what they want on the rest of it It, it's that's the question for the carbon 132 just (laughs) get the 200 and or or am i crazy and should i get a 190 <laughs> so how do you answer the question if this is your most common question what do you tell people yeah i well so i i, I make it i you know i share sort of my own personal sort of use cases um i'm a larger human like i'm six two and over 200 pounds so larger human um in the wasatch there's plenty of steep switchbacky <laughs> skin tracks and there's plenty of bushy exits um so from a pure like human powered perspective and skiing around here for those reasons, I would use the 190 as sort of a anytime it's soft snow, good good soft snow touring ski for me. Um, and you know, I wouldn't be worried about skiing that thing inbounds at all. But the 200 is it's a different animal. Like it's it, tons of people can tour with it. I personally would prefer the 190 from a skinning perspective, just navigating kick turns and that sort of a thing. Um, yeah, and the 200 really is is uh, I would say more of like a mechanized access, right? Whether it's um, you know chairlift on a super pow day in Japan or um, uh, helis and cats and and snowmobiles and that sort of a thing. So the way I think of it is is more mechanized access on the 200 and human powered with the 190. So got it. <laughs> I'm currently looking at the FL 113. Yeah, man. In a 194 centimeter length, stated radius, 45.3 meters. Not that we, you know, we we talk a lot about should we ever place faith in stated radius numbers. What's your take on that, by the way? Um, I have. So I I built a little calculator, a little Excel spreadsheet calculator where I could just measure tip tail and, and the lengths between midsole and all that stuff. Um to like actually calculate um, what different brands' radiuses are. And I would say hey, some brands are using marketing numbers yeah. <laughs> with their radius and some are using like the actual engineered um, number. And um, I'm not going <laughs> to... We don't need to go any further with all of that. But but yes, I mean, it's, it's both for sure. Um, and the other thing that's really interesting is where the midsole line is relative to the narrowest point of the ski in the center of the side cut. Um, cause you know, so like from a recommended mount perspective, like I, I see it on TGR. I'm sure you see it in the comments on blister all the time. Should I go plus one or on the line or whatever? Like my advice to those people is always figure out where the narrowest point of the ski is and then figure out if you want to be on that slightly back or slightly forward of the narrowest point of the ski. And really that's from my perspective, like more about how, upright or you know how much forward lean your boot has um so anyway that it's been really interesting like looking at different skis both from a radius perspective but also where's their mount line relative to the white the narrowest point of the ski because you can i can pretty quickly tell if the skis for me or if it's not just simply by looking at where they're if they're you know mount lines way forward of this the narrowest point of the ski it uh often for, for me my my flavor is might not be the right one for me. So. <laughs> Marshall's keeping it directional. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's been the maybe biggest surprise as you've moved from idea to reality on this? Biggest surprise in terms of what has been harder than you imagined it would be? Um, I would say, I wouldn't say harder, but probably just longer. Like everything takes twice as long as you think it will um and i I see you nodding because i know you've started many different projects and it's all it always takes you like 
So you figure out, okay, I think it's going to take this long and then I'm going to double it to be conservative. And then it actually takes twice as long as what you doubled it to. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I would say the hardest part is just sort of hours in the day and sort of like doing the time management around like how long are different part, you know, things going to actually take um, to get done. Cause oh, oh, you know, every startup is a series of a thousand small steps. And so if each step takes a little bit longer than you think, the whole journey takes way longer than you think. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm stoked with where we're at, but it's just, everything's like jumping through extra hoops for sure. Whether it's import paperwork and I mean, there's just endless lists of random stuff. You're like, how do you, yeah. So, so deliveries are coming soon. Let's assume that goes pretty well. Some people are pretty stoked on these Heritage Lab skis. Then what? What's next? Great question, Jonathan. I love it. And and to your point, like, you know, I, I don't want to turn my mind away from ma- making the, <laughs> the first thing that, that, put, yeah. that took a leap of faith on this project and, and actually giving them exactly what they were, ho- exactly what they're hoping for and more. Um, so that's my first priority. But, you know, as I start looking at you know, next year to 2020, um, you know, going forward, you know, I definitely see a couple more shapes um, being added a a little bit narrower and a little bit wider than the 113s. Um, And, you know, what's been nice is, you know, I've been able to be pretty flexible with, um, you know, the quantities and stuff. So I definitely see us doing a pre-order um, again, again, you know, opening that up once all the skis are shipped out and that sort of a thing. And yeah, you know, I, I, the, the, the big thing for me is as long as everyone out in the world is excited about what, what I'm doing with it, I'm, I'm stoked to keep making them. And if, if, that, if that dries up for whatever reason, that's cool too. You know, if, if there's only, you know, the 150 people in the world that are, that are pining for some of these skis, like that's awesome. Then it was super fun. Um, but but I'd like to think that there's there's um, you know a little more a little more than that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And what is the status with orders? Um, you have said you know you kind of were trying to make to order, so you're not sitting around with a ton of inventory of these things, kind of unsold in a warehouse. But can these still be ordered at the moment? So I I produced you know between five and eight pairs extra of each length and width and that sort of a thing. We're sort of down to twosies, threesies. We're sold out of a couple. Um, so essentially, so, you know, if, if someone was to jump on the site and be like, I really need that one, if it's available, you can get, you know, you can, you can get behind it and, and get in line with that. And it would ship, you know, right when, it, right when the skis arrive. Um, so yeah, there, there definitely is a little bit of inventory, uh, left, but again, you know, one, one, two, three of each, uh, of each shape is, is basically all that's left on, on each one. So. Hmm. It's funny. You're, you, you've said kind of multiple times, you're not trying to go sell a billion skis out there, but this is still a massive effort and amount of time invested just to get to where we are right now. So, I, I mean, are you doing okay? Do you, are you, you know, selling rocks on the side, like to make this all go? Like, um, I mean, this, this almost currently feels like, honestly, like a, uh, really a, an act of service. Uh, I mean, God, we've had so many conversations over the years about like, probably me calling you raging that some other great ski just got discontinued or whatever. And so this is giving people a chance to kind of get some of those back, but how, how are you thinking about this and and making it work? I mean, that's a, I don't even know. Um, I would say it's a labor of love, right? Like I love these things and it's, they're super important to me as a person, right? Like skiing is a really important part of my life every single day that I can get out there. And, uh, you know, I, I said on, I was about to like order some custom skis from friends, you know, Igneous and Folsom and those types of brands. And I was like, ah, oh, forget it. I'll just <laughs> buy some molds and do it myself. And uh, so fast forward a year, <laughs> a year and a bit, and here we are. Um, so it, I, I would just call it a labor of love. You know, I, I just really, I, I just feel like some of these skis work so well that they need to still exist. You know, they've, they've, they've been set aside because they're, you know, I mean, 
there's only a few people that want them, but but I feel like they're important and they're important enough to me that I that I think that they should exist. So I've uh, put my time and energy where my mouth is to yeah. make it happen. So. Yeah, and I mean, I would still say, and man, we try to bang this drum a lot on Blister, but there might be more than a few people out there, right? But if a particular large company was making a particular beloved ski, sometimes it just doesn't actually make business sense, right? They they have to be looking at large numbers of skis for it to make any sense. And so I understand that and appreciate that. But I mean, I also, you know, looking at some of the shapes uh, on the Heritage Lab site, you know, know that it's not just three weirdos out there who are interested in some of these things. Um, so let's put that number somewhere between three weirdos and a hundred or 200 weirdos. And uh, if that starts getting traction among the different models, that makes a lot of sense and seems like there's a bigger opportunity there. Yeah. I mean, that would be great. Of course we're, we're here and we're happy to help folks find skis. If, uh, if something that we're making is something that they're looking for, for sure. So, hmm. Well, hey, man, this is a, a cool thing that you're up to. And um, I'll be very curious to see exactly what that demand continues to look like and how it grows and the new models that you're thinking of. And um, till then, where should people go to check out what Heritage Labs is up to? Yeah, for sure. So our website heritagelabskis.com um is that's the sort of the place with the information as we've already discussed a, a little bit of the nuance around navigating um i would say j join the email list uh, i send out updates around all the sh shapes and constructions and timelines and deliveries and all that um i try and do that at least once a month and, and as soon as there's news uh obviously i get it out quicker than than once a month so um yeah that and that's the that's the easiest place uh to kind of take, take a peek and ha have a look-see. So. And when do you expect this shoulder of yours to be approaching 100%? Um, I, will be, I will exit restrictions um, January 25th, I hope. Uh, so 100, that, that will be 100, the beginning of, yeah, of yeah. being able to like actually stretch it and do yoga and start lifting weights and resistance and that sort of a thing. So uh, we shall see. But the good news is, um, as long as I'm not crashing on it skiing, I'm, I can ski. Right. I just can't crash on it. <laughs> yeah. I I had my own pretty significant shoulder injury. That was around June 2021. Okay. And I'm not quite ready to declare my shoulder 100% yet, but I have been skiing pretty hard on that shoulder and uh, <laughs> have been for quite a while. So here's to both of us minimizing the hard crashes. Well, and to that, so I actually had surgery a year ago on the same shoulder, uh, breaking my collarbone. And I was, it took a solid year to feel like I was like good. And like, I got like three weeks of like, I'm back to a hundred percent before I uh, blew it up again. So. <laughs> no. Well, what are you going to do? That's the price we pay for being awesome. So <laughs> you said it, not me. Uh, Hey man, it really, it's a pleasure wishing you all the best with this. And, uh, yeah, uh, here's to putting cool skis back into the world. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's all, always worth chatting. And um, thanks for letting me share my story a little bit here. So thank you so much. Awesome, man. We'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thank you. All right. It is currently exactly 1030 p.m. on Thursday, December 8th. And it is time now for our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. Tonight, I have in my hand at the moment Athletic Brewing's Upside Dawn Golden Ale. This is a non-alcoholic beer because my evening's not close to finished yet. So I like to have that Pavlovian response of cracking open a beer. I really like this Golden Dawn. And for some reason, it seems really hot in my house. It's never hot in my house. I don't know what's happening. So um, that's what I got now because we still got some miles to go before I sleep tonight. But what I'm celebrating, two things. One... As I hope you all know, we launched this new Blister membership with spot insurance coverage. Folks, I'm going to be talking about this for quite a while because I think this is incredibly important. 
please go listen to the conversation that I did with Spot founder and my friend Matt Randall. But long and short, I just want our entire community of skiers and mountain bikers and trail runners and kayakers and snowmobilers and climbers, et cetera, et cetera, to be covered when we get wrecked physically, to not also get wrecked financially. As Matt Randall says, insurance is not a sexy topic, but damn it, folks, it is an incredibly important one. So please check out on our website what we've got going there. Please listen to the conversation that I did with Matt Randall over on our Blister podcast earlier this week. And then just be smart enough to do an assessment. Like, if you got hurt, what would your insurance actually cover? Anything? Some of it? Would you be stuck with a $10,000 bill, a $20,000 bill? I don't care where you get your coverage. I just want you to be covered. So be smart. Hell, you listen to Gear 30. It might mean you have questionable taste, but it frankly probably means that you're intelligent enough to listen to like a lot, a lot of details about product and the rest. So come on, folks, get yourself covered by any means. But this is a unique offering and one of the best we're aware of. So check it out, please. The second thing I'm celebrating, freaking terrain openings. I know we've got some more coming tomorrow here in Crested Butte, and I'm ready for them, folks. Uh, We've been having a great time skiing early season, but who doesn't like more terrain options? So I'm raising my glass, well, to insurance, I guess, and you being smart enough to figure out if it's something that you could really use. And then I'm celebrating terrain openings because we're going to go get after it some more tomorrow terrain openings. Good stuff. All right, everybody. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Marshall for the great conversation and for executing this idea. This is cool stuff he's up to. So again, you can go to heritagelabskis.com to see more and then inundate Marshall with a bunch of questions, thousands of them. I think maybe that guy's sleeping too much these days, and we should put a stop to that. So send all of your questions to Marshall, and uh, I look forward to seeing some Heritage Lab skis out in the wild. And, you know, actually getting on some myself. I think that might happen. I also want to say thank you to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode, even when he's kind of under the weather right now. So props to you, J-Bob. And, of course, I want to say thanks to all of you for listening. From the entire team here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon.